Good afternoon. It's Wednesday, the 5th of May, 2021, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson and myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by Alex Thompson from the Netherlands. Well, schools. schools. No, I have it on good authority that uh, school children are under immense uh, pressure, let's say. Uh, they're being encouraged to take vaccin vaccination in September. Uh, the impression I get is that many of them feel that this is the path to freedom. They are buying the message. So where's the message coming from? Uh, thanks for the person who sent this through. It's been doing the rounds on social media. This is from uh, Queen Mary University of London and the uh, Stephen Hawking Foundation. And they're asking, are vaccines safe? It's uh, a set of slides, PowerPoint presentation for schools and for teachers and also includes teachers' notes. Stephen Hawking's foundation was tweeting this out actually quite a few weeks ago now. Uh, but uh, it didn't seem to get too many retweets, so I don't think too many people were aware that it was that it was going on. No, I just picked up immediately in the text there. It says um, our free school resources enable children to ask the big question: Are vaccines safe? Then to make an informed decision. An informed so that's decision. The so, claim. Yes, that's the claim. So let's just have a look and see whether this uh, results in informed decisions. Um, so here's the question uh, at the beginning of the uh, package. Uh, if you were offered a COVID vaccine today, would you take it? Uh, hands right up for yes, hands down for no, and hands in the middle for I'm not sure. Um, and they come back to this at the end, as we will see. Um, so they ask the question, how worried are you about the COVID vaccine and why? Uh, and they list some of the common concerns. I'm worried it was rushed. I've heard scary stories about vaccines and I don't know what to believe. I don't know what's in it. I'm worried about the side effects. I'm worried about the long-term effects. Will it make us ill in the future? Um, and, uh, well, they go on to, uh, to say some people think there's no need for a vaccine. I'm not likely to get COVID. It's no worse than flu. Uh, I've already had it, so I'm already immune. I'm young and healthy and so won't get sick and so on. Um, they ask what would happen when, uh, when you get vaccinated. And they say the doctors want to convince your body uh, that it's been infected so that it knows that what the real virus looks like. You might experience the area where the needle went in looking red, swollen, or a bit sore for two to three days, uh, feeling a bit unwell, or developing high temperature for one to two days. This is normal and helps your body remember. They don't say, say anything uh, about the scientific, the plethora of scientific literature which shows cross-reactivity for T-cells uh, from other uh, coronaviruses. Um, and they go on to say here, similar to when you try any new food or take any new medication, an allergic reaction can happen. But for vaccines, this is extremely rare. Uh, and then they go on to ask, uh, are vaccines safe? Uh, and what's the evidence? Um, overwhelming medical evidence shows that negative side effects are rare and minor. Uh, improved safety means that researchers are sometimes searching for vanishing, vanishingly small risks. Vaccines must undergo stringent safety tests before distribution. Uh, and nothing in medicine is 100% safe. The absolute safety of vaccines cannot be proved, but the relative absence of serious side effects in so many studies show how safe vaccines are. Uh, well, that's a very general statement. It doesn't refer to these particular vaccines. Uh, they say that vaccines must undergo stringent safety tests. Again, another general statement, nothing, no mention of black triangles here, Brian, uh, and no mention of yellow cards here either. Um, and they go on to, uh, they go on to say this, uh, how big is the risk? And they're talking about blood clots here. And they're saying there's a very rare side effect which affects uh, young women the most. COVID is still far more dangerous. 
uh, you're more likely to suffer from a blood clot from COVID than from the vaccine. Um, is that true for people of a certain age? Uh, I don't know. It certainly, they certainly don't seem to be wanting to include any age-related data in this particular slide. Uh, what is the incidence of blood clot uh, from COVID in the very young? And we're talking about secondary school age children here. I would say it tends towards zero risk uh, for blood clots in, from COVID at, at that age. Uh, whereas if we look at even the mainstream press who are reporting what the MHRA has said, young people are much more likely to suffer rare vaccine blood clots. So what is the risk reward situation here? Uh, the government has already said that young people shouldn't be getting the AstraZeneca vaccine because the risk reward numbers don't work out. Yeah, I'm just um, I'm paying attention to that, Mike. I just wanted to point out in this picture, you notice that this vaccine's been administered by somebody with no gloves on here. Yes. Uh, this is one of the common things we're now seeing that clearly injections are given with none of the proper uh, procedures or protective um, clothing or gloves in place. And also when Matt Hancock had his vaccine recently and he was boasting that uh, Professor Von Tam had given it to him, he said, I was in and out of in eight minutes. And of course, he shouldn't have been out in and out in eight minutes because the rules are that when you've had the vaccine, you should be sitting for at least 15 minutes to avoid any risks of the fainting. So the Van Tam injection was in breach of the, the government's own guidelines on administering of the vaccine. And we just see another picture with no gloves. So the, it would be a fair question to ask then, was it a real vaccination or was it a staged event? Uh, lots of questions to be asked. Um, it almost appears that they were in love over the vaccine. Yes. So then they go on to ask, uh, we need a COVID or say that we need a COVID vaccine because more than 3 million people have died from COVID. Is that true? I don't think so. Uh, society, including education, employment, sport and medical care, uh, was shut down during the COVID pandemic. A vaccine may be, may be the best way we have to open the world up again. So here we're getting this association with freedom. Uh, long COVID uh, is affecting young people, uh, children and adolescents, according to this document. Uh, can we have some statistics, please? They're not mentioned. Um, and uh, how was the vaccine developed so fast? Well, lots of money was thrown at it. Scientists working across around the clock. Nothing was missed, they claim. Uh, lots of resources were used, very few wasted days, all safety checks in place. Is that true? Is the third, uh, is the, the level three trial still uh, in progress or not? If it is, then how could all safety checks be in place? Uh, what about long-term effects? Were the people in the control group uh, allowed to take the vaccine after six months, thereby uh, effectively destroying any opportunity to look at long-term effects? That certainly is the case. Uh, it was an international effort, they say. Stages uh, were carried out in parallel. At some stages are still running. Uh, and it was approved by the independent regulatory body. Well, an emergency approval, uh, it gets a black triangle. It hasn't had the normal approval process at all. So again, more misinformation and lies in this document. For children. For children, This yes. is being get, put into the minds of children. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about conspiracy theories. Now, what is a conspiracy theory? It's an alternative explanation for event or a situation that relies on sinister actors and motivations rather than hard evidence. Really, uh, often conspiracy theories are associated with new technologies or scientific achievement, are they? Uh, psychologists believe that the availability of the internet and social media is one reason why conspiracy theories uh, too become more common. That's their uh, grammatical error. 
uh, as uh, we can now easily assess a large amount of unverified information. And then they go on to uh, push the trust idea. Um, where are you getting your news from? Uh, really, you need to be looking at fact checkers and myth busting sites, and you need to be looking at the BBC rather than Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, and then they go on to talk about the effects of COVID. It can give you a life-threatening pneumonia. It's worse than flu. Uh, it's not just old people or ill people. If you get sick, you may need a hospital bed and oxygen, uh, but others may need them too. If the NHS gets overwhelmed, uh, there may not be enough to go around. Well, has the NHS been overwhelmed since the beginning of this? Absolutely not. They built the Nightingale hospitals. They haven't used them. Uh, the NHS in this last so-called wave uh, was only running at 75% capacity because of social distancing and COVID-related rules, and it still wasn't overwhelmed. Uh, long COVID could leave you with lifelong health problems, they fearmonger, uh, and new data shows long COVID can affect children and adolescents. So that's in two separate slides that that information is there. So this is pure fear propaganda. This is psychology being used to make these children fearful which of course will damage their mental health. So this, this is a crime being committed on our own children by the organization that's produced this leaflet. Um, so uh, they then ask, now that you've received all their propaganda, they now ask, now would you take the COVID vaccine? Hands up for yes, hands down for no, hands in the middle for I'm not sure. So who did produce this then? Uh, it was Morpeth School. It was researched and produced by Edmund Stubbs, who's a science teacher at Morpeth School, London. Uh, and uh, that was in collaboration with Dr. Emily Grossman. And uh, it was reviewed by Professor Daniel Pennington, who's the Centre Lead for Immunobiology at Queen Mary University London, in collaboration with the Ideas Foundation, the Stephen Haw uh, Hawking Foundation, and the Vaccine Confidence Project. Um, Alex, uh, let's welcome you to the programme and uh, ask, uh, ask you for your thoughts on this. Well, I think that we're going to be covering a lot more in days and weeks to come, Mike, about targeting of secondary and even primary school children for vaccine hesitancy, or the new phrase that we're often hearing is vaccine apathy, couldn't be bothered one way or the other. People have already sent material from one of the East London boroughs, which is being offered from Upper Key Stage 2 onwards, persuading them that there is no reason at all not to take a vaccine, and there's no differentiation, all vaccines are the same. Yes, indeed. No, let's. Uh, sorry, I'm sorry. I thought we'd. I thought we'd lost Alex. No, 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 no. We haven't. Okay. No. okay, so let's uh, let's move on to this question of whether, uh, you know, how at risk are uh, school children? Uh, because it's looking like zero is the answer, or as close to zero as makes very little difference. Um, because uh, the latest round of the school infection survey has been published. Uh, it's saying a significant reduction in there's a significant reduction in the percentage of secondary school pupils and staff testing positive for COVID-19 infections since schools reopened compared to last November. Uh, and this is based on uh, three main rounds of statistics that they gathered. Uh, this is from the Office for National Statistics. So let's have a look at them. Um, so the uh, round one was done, in the, the, the assessment was done in November 2020, round two in December 2020, round four in March 2021. And you can see there that in terms of secondary school uh, pupils, the current rate is somewhere in the region of 0.35% uh, of secondary school pupils are testing positive, bearing in mind that the lateral flow tests that they're using are completely unreliable. Uh, that would seem like a, 
you know, that, that's a, a pretty significant statistic. But even at the height of this, or at least the claimed height of this in November 2020, uh, it was less than 1.5% of pupils were testing positive and uh, actually not too different for staff. So, uh, Alex. There is something I forgot to mention a moment ago that's relevant, uh, well, not relevant, but uh, a culturally apt uh, reference, Mike. When I was doing my Cambridge finals in 1998, the uh, pop song of the year was If You Tolerate This, Then Your Children Will Be Next by the Manic Street Preachers. And in some way, it became, it became the anthem of a generation. Uh, but if you go and look at the uh, official upload, I think 12 million downloads uh, or, or streams of, of that on YouTube, uh, most of the most recent comments on that piece are saying how prophetic this was from a generation ago. It's yes. exactly what the uh, NHS board level whistleblower told us in the piece that we released yesterday. Uh, indeed. So, you know, the question is, uh, is it required uh, for school children? Uh, I think the evidence is showing that it is not. Uh, that's true, Mike. So um, if they're going for the minds of the children, they're still on the case with the minds of adults. If you believe that reading the Daily Mirror is going to help your adult brain, let's have a look at what the Mirror's been up to. Thank you very much to the viewer who pointed this one out. So here's the Mirror headline, the nine common COVID and vaccines myths flooding the internet debunked by doctor. Well, the headline itself is false because if you read the article, there's no debunking at all. There's simply statements. But we'll just have a little look at some of it. Uh, this is 4.4. So I encourage you to read the article yourself so that you can get the full flavor of it. Could there be any serious long-term effects? And should people be worried about this? Well, I'm going to drop right to the end of that little paragraph. It says, so far, millions of people have been given a COVID-19 vaccine and reports of serious side effects such as allergic reactions or clotting problems have been extremely rare. Does the mirror, of course, put any data in on this to support their arguments? No. So the whole article is not any form of analysis of what's happening. It's simply short, sharp propaganda statements with a little bit more text because they believe that they're dealing with a an adult audience in this case. But here is the big lie again. There's really no uh, reports of side effects at all, and none of them are serious. So just carry on. Well, here's the GP from the surgery um, who they are apparently using to debunk. But I can't actually see how she's debunking anything because she doesn't appear to have done any research in what the government's own figures and statistics have to say. But if you want to read into her background, she qualified at St. Thomas's Hospital London in 1979. Um, uh, she's been also at the Queen's Medical Centre Nottingham. She's got two young children. That makes her very personable. And then she retrained as a GP and um, she's undertaken a postgraduate certificate in training in medical education. Maybe that's the connection with the mirror, I don't know. I did notice that after a name, it's brackets F, which I thought is outrageous. And if uh, people don't understand what that means, she's declaring herself as female, um, brings a lot of worries to my mind. <laughs> Alex. Yes, um, 
for the sharp ear, the reason why I was a little discombobulated and out of breath is that I had to do a sprint down the stairs to receive a parcel delivery because I'm at home alone. And uh, I've just uh, checked the real-time update from the delivery company, one of the big three that people will know of. And uh, it says that the, the customer, brackets, man, had the item delivered to him. Now, whether that's to prevent marital arguments over the delivery of high-value objects, I don't know. But it seems that it's spreading to the world of deliveries. Uh, okay. Th thank you for that. Well, we've... we've we We've got a bit of humour coming into the programme. We need it because what we're talking about today is so serious and so dark. So this GP paraded by the mirror does not really say anything of any substance. Now, I took the trouble to actually go and have a look at her GP surgery. Uh, let's just pop this up on uh, this one up on screen. Um, so you can go to the website and have a look yourself. And then I thought, well, I shall try and call Dr Lovelock in order to uh, find out a bit more about how she teamed up with the mirror. And I thought the call to her surgery was particularly pertinent. If you are calling regarding the COVID-19 vaccination programme, when it's your turn to have the vaccine, the NHS will contact you. Please do not contact your GP practice in relation to receiving the vaccine. Further information is available on the NHS website, www nhs.uk. If you have symptoms associated with coronavirus, including a new continuous cough or a high temperature or a loss of taste or smell, please do not attend the practice. NHS 111 has an online service which can advise you what to do. The service can be found at 111.nhs.uk or by calling 111. If you want to be tested for coronavirus, please call 119 or visit gov.uk to book a test. Thank you. Welcome to Briley Park Medical Practice. If you are suffering from severe chest pain or the patient has collapsed, please hang up and redial 999 immediately. Please be aware your calls may be recorded for training or monitoring purposes. Please listen carefully and choose one of the following two options. For reception, please press 1. For prescriptions, please press 2. Sorry, your call cannot be completed at present. Please try again later. So there we are. I think we need to give uh, the Daily Mirror a prize for this article, because not only is the article so appalling, and of course, it doesn't give uh, the general public any proper information at all. But they've promoted a doc doctor's surgery that if you go to that surgery to ask for information about COVID and the, the expert doctor is supposedly there, that voice message, of course, says, don't talk to us because we don't know anything. Speak to the NHS. So the public sent in, the, in, in a circle there. But did you notice that... Uh, for anybody who'd got serious chest pains, that they should be calling an ambulance, that came after the delay of the COVID message. So if you called that GP surgery because somebody next to you was clearly having a heart attack or some serious event, then you had to wait until this spurious government's COVID message went through before you could even get through to the surgery. So I, I just think this was one of the most appalling um, articles that I've seen. I'm going to follow up with this doctor because I'd love to talk to her. But um, now we've shown our audience what's really going on. 
And of course, for Mike's um, propaganda for the children and for the Daily Mail propaganda for the adults, uh, this is what they do not want to tell you about. So this is the later, latest MHRA data run from the 26th of April. So Pfizer here, total drug reactions, 149,082. And we've got 347 deaths. And if we go to AstraZeneca, uh, we're into 573,650 adverse reactions. That includes deafness, blindness, paralysis, strokes, heart attacks, neurological events, and 685 deaths. So we're now well over 1,000 deaths, uh, but of course the papers don't want to talk about it. Um, we're going to encourage our viewers and listeners to go to see the official MHRA stats because we're only putting up there the Pfizer and the AstraZeneca on screen for the Moderna and other products. You need to go and look at that data for yourself. So the scam of the mainstream media in UK is they simply do not want to talk about hundreds of thousands of, very, of, of adverse effects, including very serious effects, death and uh, long-term illness. Um, Alex, uh, let's head to... Uh... COVID passports, and uh, I think this is Ireland. This is Ireland, both sides of the border, and the author you can see at the bottom there is Kieran McCollum, a very talented young man who is a barrister, a musician, a linguist, and various other things. I think he's accredited at the Dublin bar, but he's from Northern Ireland, and he's uh, writing here in EU Observer, one of the top four or five titles based in Brussels that covers EU affairs, and uh, they make a good fist of being fairly independent. He's worried uh, that there are legal concerns uh, over the Irish border with regards to, uh, as we covered recently, the uh, the European Parliament's vote. It turned out to be an acceptance vote, as we suggested it would be, uh, of this idea of a COVID passport or a, a COVID gre vaccine green certificate, as they're calling it in the EU. Now, Kieran McCollum has got uh, a piece, uh, a section in the article here about the lack of legal certainty, pointing out that, of course, both, uh, both parts of Ireland, both jurisdictions are not in Schengen, but they're in the UK and Ireland common travel area. But for the rest of the EU, most of the rest of it, it's in the Schengen zone, and the universal framework, the language adopted by MEPs and previously by the Council of Ministers of the EU about this passport, makes a mockery of freedom of travel because it can only be centrally administered bureaucratic uh, requirements for uh, travel to be uh, uh, in, in um, coherence with whatever health safety measures or, or whatever it's, it's cooked up to be will require. Uh, also from Ireland uh, has been sent to us uh, a, a constituent's um, uh, communication to one of the members of the European Parliament for the Irish Republic, Luke Flanagan, uh, almost ubiquitously known as Ming Flanagan, and to many people uh, regarded as a dissident or an independent, and we've seen footage in the past of him being carted off by Brussels police for demanding entry to a shareholders meeting where MEPs were banned, and some people thought, oh, good on him. Here is his, his reply to the constituent, however, Mr Ming Flanagan's reply. He says that after careful consideration, he has decided to vote in favour of the vaccine passport known as the Digital Green Certificate in EU and Israel parlance. And he says that uh, because we've had more nearly a quarter of a million cases of COVID-19 in Ireland. He couldn't have it on his conscience. Things can't go back to normal straight away, he says. And if you hit that slide again, we will see a zoom in on the latter half of his uh, article or his reply to his constituent. He says that the digital green certificate is not a vaccine, vaccine passport and it does not mean mandatory vaccinations. And then he outlines the options to get it. 
you know, one of which is a recovery certificate and one of which is a test certificate. So uh, we'll see later in the program that other EU states are, especially the ones with a common law heritage, are trying to pass off the same idea. In fact, it's the very next slide here. Here we are, the Cyprus Mail has a worthy piece on the national level Cypriot resistance to COVID pass. This was a debate uh, around the Nicosia parliament. And uh, we can see here something more of the granularity of what's, what's going on. Um, the um, attorney that's being quoted here is actually the, the chairman of the Bar Association for the jurisdiction of Cyprus, obviously the Greek speaking Southern Cyprus de facto. And he's repeatedly asked the health minister that a lawyer be included on the team advising on control measures on epidemiology. The health minister in Cyprus has never bothered to respond, but his, uh, his, um, his gopher, the Petros Karayanis of the scientific advisory team, so this is the equivalent of the likes of Witty and, uh, uh, and so on behind, um, behind British ministers, saying absolute nonsense, stuff and nonsense. We do not want any lawyers advising on the constitutionality, even though the chairman of the, the Bar Association for Cyprus has said that vaccine passports are unconstitutional. No, he says, Mr. Karayanis continues, we don't need lawyers on the advisory team. I cannot listen to this legalese right now. The community is in danger, undefined, undefined. These are the tools at our disposal. And if we don't wish to use them, then we deserve what we get. There we are. What a scientific answer. Uh, the health minister didn't bother to respond. So the, these are rote replies, Alex. Uh, we're seeing this worldwide. People simply um, re replying to legitimate questions with uh, sound bikes that they've been given, presumably through their own, own government system. Worldwide propaganda on the increase like we've never seen before. Um, and just uh, to go back to Ireland for one second, uh, thanks to the UK column member who uh, sent this through to us. Uh, HSE staff, this is from the Irish Times, HSE staff uh, who refuse COVID-19 vaccines may be redeployed under new proposals. This is the equivalent of the, of the NHS, Department of Health, uh, and so on. So anybody in the front lines uh, in Ireland uh, is going to be taken off frontline uh, care, patient care. It doesn't define where they're going to be shifted to, um, but uh, uh, it's looking like the same type of policies uh, in place in Ireland as well, perhaps not surprisingly. Let's uh, move on to this. Uh, Fast-tracking variant vaccines. Uh, so we've got some really spectacularly good news here, and I hope everybody appreciates that that was a little bit of sarcasm. Uh, new irony, irony. Okay, irony, okay. <laughs> uh, new cutting-edge testing centre uh, is being uh, fast-tracked, uh, and it's going to create, it's, it's going to allow us to fast-track COVID-19 variant vaccines. It's fantastic stuff. Uh, vaccines tailored to tackle COVID-19 vaccines are to be accelerated through a new state-of-the-art lab uh, this was announced uh, today by Matt Hancock, uh, the government investing $23.9 million through the vaccine uh, task force in Public Health England's new testing facilities at Port and Down. Now, of course, Port and Down, uh, well known for being the location not only of Public Health England's laboratories, uh, but also the Defence Science and Technology Laboratory, uh, which I suppose is really about bioweapons and so on, so and chemical weapons and things like this. Uh, maybe it's just a coincidence that those two things are in the same place. But anyway, uh, this is what uh, this is what Matt Hancock had to say. Uh, the UK has proven itself to be a world-class force in the production of COVID-19 vaccines with Oxford, AstraZeneca, Novavax and Valneva vaccines, all research developed or manufactured on British soil. Um, so this funding is going to increase the site's current capacity from 700 to 3,000 blood samples tested a week in order to fast-track variant vaccines. Uh, these tests measure the levels of antibodies of co to COVID-19 that are generated by the vaccines. Uh, here's uh, Anton LaVey, 
otherwise known as Nadim Zahawi, sorry, the vaccines minister. Uh, he said the funding will allow us to increase the testing capacity of Portendown with a new innovative facility and ensure our COVID-19 vaccines are effective against future variants of concern. Trademark. Don't forget that is trademarked. Now, uh, another piece of good news and perhaps a little bit surprising uh, because uh, here is uh, uh, an announcement from the MHRA that they are appointing Dr. Alison Cave as their new chief scientific, sorry, chief safety officer. Now, this is a new role. This isn't that she's moving into a role that's previously existed and has been otherwise occupied by somebody else. This is a brand spanking new shiny role at the MHRA. They didn't previously have a chief safety officer. I wonder why they feel the need to have one now, Brian. But anyway, uh, Alison uh, Cave is a pharmacologist uh, with a PhD in biochemistry. Her long career includes significant academic and regulatory experience. So where has she been before? She's currently working for Innovate UK. Before that, she was working for the European Medicines Agency, the EU's equivalent of the MHRA. Before that, she was working for the Wellcome Trust. And before that, she was working for the MHRA. And before that, she was at King's College London. But while she, while she was at the uh, European Medicines Agency, she was very uh, keen on the idea of using big data to support regulatory decision making. But of course, it's interesting that the MHRA's uh, yellow card scheme isn't providing the same level of data interrogation that other agencies, in, including the EU and uh, the United States, are. So uh, the other agencies uh, provide a, a, a half-decent front end to their adverse reaction data, which allows you to query it in many different ways. The MHRA's uh, pitiful little PDF uh, documents are sad in comparison. Yeah, she, she's been brought in. Let's give some good news, Mike. My opinion, she's been brought in because the MHRA knows that it's going to come under huge scrutiny from the public as their own data comes to the surface. That's what's happening. So this lady has been brought in as a SOP. Her, her job is basically to try and firefight the fact that the UK public is waking up to the huge numbers of adverse reactions from the vaccines. And her job is going to be somehow to try and manipulate the big data and also work with the government's propaganda to try and keep a lid on the hundreds of thousands of vaccine adverse effects and over 1,000 deaths. So would I trust her? Not very, no. No, okay. <laughs> uh, okay, Alex, uh, let's move over to Germany now. And uh, what has Angela Merkel been up to? Thanks to an eagle-eyed viewer in Germany who has summarized this for us, and those who speak German can go to 7 minutes 30 seconds in the piece that's shown on screen, a press conference from the last week of April together with Markus Zöder and Michael Müller. But uh, as you can see at the bottom of the slide, our viewer writes that Merkel announced in this health conference that they will be, quote, correcting, unquote, the German numbers of incidents of COVID-19. This will be based on the percentage of the population not vaccinated. Hint, this is coming to Britain and English-speaking countries soon. That is, and Merkel said this, I listened to the German original, she said, say that we have an incidence of 100 per population, but half our population is vaccinated and therefore no longer able to transmit, hint, lie by Merkel. Uh, this means, she says, that uh, an incidence continuing at the same rate will have to be called 200 once half the population has been jabbed. And on the next slide, I think a different person, but same viewer sent it, has shown what kind of a switcheroonie this will result in. It will result in, you won't be shown the blue line, 
you'll be shown the green line. The incidence is going up. This is a second level of derivative after the, um, the first level idea of cases, cases, case demic. Now we're getting incidence demic. And those who have got good resolution and can pause the screen can read further detail at the bottom. Uh, the viewer who listened to this as well as I did uh, pointed out that also in that conference, Merkel said that since people need a booster shot, they need a six monthly jab. That would make 160 million jabs a year for an 80 million German population. That equates to three million jabs a week. Merkel's claiming that that's already in progress. In other words, there is already a rolling program in place and at full speed of jabbing the entire German population twice a year. Um, Alex, I think this is a really key point and we need to ram it home, actually, because the, this is showing manipulation of the statistics to pursue a political narrative. Um, and, uh, and of course, at the back of that is, as you say, a continuous rollout of vaccination. It, whenever, whenever we have propaganda going into schools saying that three million people have died uh, of COVID, um, the, the, there has been such manipulation of the data, and we're seeing that again here. I mean, it, it can't be overstated that, that <laughs> how critical it is to understand the data behind all this stuff. It is, it is. And then already in the chat box, someone has corrected me that an incident demic is just a, the same thing as a case demic in, in more scientific words. And another viewer has already pointed out that Merkel makes a lot of uh, play about the fact that she was trained as a scientist. Sometimes in cabinet meetings, she uh, sort of symbolically handbags them, as Mrs. Thatcher used to do with her cabinet, by saying, I'm the only trained scientist in the room, don't you know? Uh, but it's all pseudoscience, of course. I mean, people, and again, a third commentator just put this in the chat box, people can see when you put represented on screen that this is a hockey stick trick. It's very much like Michael Mann of the University of East Anglia on the climate issue. So watch out for this uh, because, uh, well, I'll the next slide uh, seamlessly uh, brings it in. This is what Mr. Hancock will be talking about next, uh, perhaps aping what Merkel's already doing, cases going up using the same trick, you know, a vanishing uh, a section of the population still unjabbed, responsible for as many incidences, therefore the rate of infection is supposedly going up. Well, look at this Downing Street press conference carried by LBC, among others, uh, at the same time frame, the last week of April 28th, if memory serves. And uh, look at the auto transcript on YouTube of what he was saying. This is a slightly relevant uh, point, science-y rather than scientific. So on the left here, 25 minutes, he's saying we've already had 28 and a half million people in England, so half the English population have already had their first dose. And over a quarter of the population, 11.4 million, have had their second dose. And that second dose, as you heard, is crucial, he says. That is where we're getting protection. Uh, incidentally, the Canadians have just had a big stink about the fact that they're now being uh, countermanded with their previous advice. They're saying take the first available jab. Don't wait for one which is less likely to cause uh, uh, blood clots. Uh, Hancock goes on, we still have to follow social distancing guidance. But look at uh, the uh, right-hand part of the slide now. Later on, he's re reminiscing on April 2020. And he says that the Deputy Chief Medical Officer for the UK, Jonathan Van Tam, um, called, sorry, emailed him more than a year ago, so possibly March 2020, to talk about booster shots. We had just got into lockdown, March 2020, and JVT, as he always calls him, and as Brian quietly rightly said, the, the mutual love fests that these these uh, uh, the, these uh, press calls are, JVT was already in March 2020 saying, do you know what, I think we need to reserve a lot of booster shots. How prescient? Yes, how did they know? Well, they know because it was a pre-planned scam, but I'll just add that um, uh, Matt Hancock was also talking on the subject of transforming the UK into a life sciences superpower. 
Um, this was at the annual British Pharma, uh, Pharmaceutical Advisory, um, com uh, sorry, annual conference. And he described a holy trinity that was being put in place, which was the government, industry and academia. Have you come across this bit, uh, Alex? I have, because a very faithful viewer pointed out to me last night that the 29th of April speech that Mike featured the other day, written as a life science superpower available on gov.uk, and the link will be uh, no doubt under the news, should be read in concert with the previous day, 28th of April, press call that we just featured. Between the two of them and, you know, all this sort of uh, very un-British style of, uh, of the three participants saying, love you, man, you're really hitting it out of the ballpark and all kinds of nonsense. Between these two, you, you're seeing a position being triangulated that Britain has to go ahead with this and was so foresighted that Britain saw in the first month of the non-Chinese world uh, panic in March 2020, Britain already had, or certain players in Britain already had the route map and it was to be uh, brought out at the right time. And part of it, as you're talking about now, is just this idea that actually it's the second shot that gives protection. So we need to double the rate of jabs. Yes. OK, uh, well, what about masks then, Alex? People are aware that until now, by some reckonings, the only mention in the scientific literature of the effectiveness of masks in stopping viral transmission for respiratory disease was a Danish study. Well, now the International Journal of Environmental Research and Public Health, as covered by NDP MDPI, has a follow-up study, well, not a follow-up, but a separate study on the same theme by a, a group of German medics, is a mask that covers the mouth and nose free from undesirable side effects in everyday use? And is it free of potential hazards? And uh, let's look at the right-hand side, the conclusion they draw, the first paragraph, sorry that the uh, resolution is not great, but the, uh, they, they say basically um, that there's, there's no um, uh, uh, substantiated indication that it lowers transmission. This is my uh, layman's summary. But then the line at the bottom of the first paragraph of that conclusion says, on the other hand, the side effects of masks are clinically relevant. Now, as always, wait a few hours after upload and the links will be under any upload on ukcolumn.org or any other platform that we cover. So don't go uh, posting where's the links, just wait a few hours, go back to where you saw the video and the links should be there. Meanwhile, in Germany, uh, something very significant and sinister has happened, uh, covered both by lockdown skeptics on the left here and also by a news outlet closely allied with Dr. Rainer Fulmich and his extra parliamentary uh, inquiry on the right, 2020news.de, reporting searches and seizures, uh, the holding of a mobile phone and the, seizure, the searching of a car and a, and a home by the judge in the family court who rendered the Weimar mass judgment, which 2020 News correctly calls sensational. Why is it sensational? Well, the previous court judgments, uh, we covered one from Portugal, um, from the Lisbon and Azores region court and later there was one in the Viennese court finding that there was no proportionality in requiring quarantining of people uh, on the basis of PCR tests. These were legal only arguments. Now because of the close involvement of Rainer Fulmich's team, this time before the Weimar family court, which also covers youth health obviously, that's, it, that's the remit of the court, uh, this time a medical expert was brought into court to testify on the uh, uselessness of masks in stopping the transmission uh, that they're supposed to stop. Uh, so this would be a replicable piece of evidence. And that's why the deep state was so mad 
at that judge. Uh, they're accusing him, don't laugh, of breaking section 1666 of some protocol at law. The details are on rightschuster.de, um, which uh, supposedly meant that he was acting beyond his remit. Uh, after all, a family court judge can't be judging on children. No, 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 it had to go through the administrative court. So as 2020 News has written up the detail, Christian Detmar had his house searched, private premises and car searched, cell phone confiscated. Um, People who read German on the next slide can go and see more, not just at Reitschuster, which I think is well known to people as an alternative media site in Germany now, but also on YouTube and, and BitChute, Red Pill Germany, always excellent, has got German authorities go after independent judges, pointing out the lack of independence among the prosecutors who set the police to work on such things. And on the right, I would say a mainstream title, Online Focus, has covered this as well, calling it a razzia, the word used for uh, Second World War raids, by the way, razzia on the the, the mask judge. Uh, so the, the, the lawyer for uh, Dr. Christian Detmar is pointing out just how awful this is, but it gets worse. Even the New York Times, that uh, pillar of the American establishment, is reporting that Bundesverfassungsschutz, the German equivalent of MI5, the domestic security service, is going to put a, a movement of what's being called coronavirus deniers under surveillance in a new part of the German domestic security service. A new directorate will be set up because according to the Verfassungsschutz, their basic democratic order have faced multiple attacks since the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is the interior ministry, the parent ministry of that agency. And the nonsense being claimed is that the querdenker, the alternative thinkers, who are basically a bunch of well-informed hippies, uh, who are in the lead, uh, the vanguard of, of questioning COVID measures, are in some way linked to the Reichsbürger, the sovereign citizens movement of Germany. The Germany. That's quite a claim. They're at opposite ends of the political spectrum. Um, okay, thank you for that, Alex. Now, if you like what the UK column does and you would like to support us, then please head over to ukcolumn.org forward slash community and you'd be very welcome if you join us there. Uh, also, do uh, uh, share any material that you find on the various platforms and we'll be giving you a couple of articles to share in a few minutes. Okay, we've had a lot of information. We are getting a lot of information coming into UK column. We try and thank people when they send information to us. We can't always do it. So if you haven't received a reply, uh, don't uh, get upset about it. It's simply we can't cope with it all. This was an interesting email that came in from a gentleman called Nick. He said, I turned 50 in January, been getting repeated texts and letters from the GP surgery about having the vaccination, which I've ignored. Then I received a telephone call. The lady asked when I would like to have the vaccination, to which I replied I did not wish to have one. She then asked if I was denying having the vaccination. And to that, I replied I was simply choosing not to have it, not denying. I wonder what record goes down for you not having the vaccine or refusing to have it. And I think there's an interesting point. What data is being logged against us? And of course, if you do a, a subject access request, you're uh, doctor's surgery, you should be able to lever out some of the information they hold on you. Well, big thank you to people who um, have listened to the senior NHS board member uh, speaking out. And of course, that uh, very senior lady said, as far as she was concerned, she agreed with colleagues who were saying that genocide is now taking place. And she warned that our children are next. If you haven't listened to that, it's on the uh, UK column website. So please go and have a listen because people taking great risks now bringing information to us and uh, a lot of information in that uh, interview. We tweeted it out and thank you very much for people who retweeted. 
But I'm going to say, if you like our reports, please retweet, because you'll notice here that there are more likes than retweets. Well, a like is very nice, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't shift the information. So please retweet to help spread what we are putting out. On the contrary, this uh, person, Peter Green, thank you very much, Peter, said he'd shared it with plenty of UK column tags. Um, all of the material we produce is for sharing, so you don't need to ask us. But we would say if you share, please uh, just give the UK column a little bit of a tag on it so that people can come back to the website and see and read more. Uh, this was a very interesting one where um, a gentleman sent in a complaint to the BBC uh, about reporting on the Saturday, the 24th of April protest in London. And in particular, that Mariana Spring, the uh, so-called fake news expert, had not done a very good job. So he asked why she hadn't talked about the size of the main protest and she just focused on the trouble in Hyde Park. Uh, the BBC came back. Uh, let's have a look. Thank you about getting in touch with the BBC's coverage of the anti-lockdown Unite for Freedom protest. Some readers have contacted us to object to tweets on the day from members of our anti-disinformation team, which when characterising the protest, noted how they had been predominantly organised in Telegram channels promoting conspiracy theories about vaccines and the pandemic. There's panic here, Mike, in the BBC. In subsequent tweets, the team also highlighted people in attendance who mentioned conspiracy theories or false claims about COVID-19, and there were placards and leaflets. Um, no comment about how many people were there. And uh, it went on here, it says, uh, in subsequent tweets, the team also highlighted people in attendance. Um, sorry, that's the, the one about the placard. Sorry, that's a repeat of that uh, paragraph. These are perfectly valid observations for our journalists to make concerning what they saw at the protests and supported by approximately a dozen interviews that they conducted on the day. So you've got a crowd of several hundred thousand people. You do a dozen interviews, none of which were published on the day. And then you make false claims about what was really happening. So BBC, um, at their best here, because they've investigated themselves, found that They've been producing excellent news. They're not interested in any of the complaints. And they interviewed 12 people out of a crowd of several hundred thousand. So there's nothing to see. Now, I'd just like to say to our audience, it is not the BBC doing this. It's individuals. Tim Davey, we've been talking about over the last couple of days. Here, here he is grinning. Why is he grinning? Well, if you're on a salary of £664,000 a year out of the public purse, and you can tell your viewers that you don't care what they're talking about. You're just going to call them all conspiracy theorists. He's entitled to grin. So if people are unhappy, you should be emailing him direct or getting around to knock on the door of your local BBC station. Now, good news, because many people are standing up for the local elections. Can they make a difference if elected locally? I believe they can, because, of course, they see information they can spread the truth and they can also tell the public what's really happening inside our local authorities. Danny Bamping, one of the candidates here in Plymouth, um, he's tweeted out a little picture of himself standing uh, down at the seafront in, in uh, Plymouth and a little video clip here where he's talking about why he's standing. OK, so here I am in the ward of St. Peter, the waterfront where I'm standing as an independent candidate in the election 
on Thursday, May the 6th. And it's been a great response, really, from the public because they don't want to vote red. They don't want to vote blue. Voting for Greens is pointless. Voting for Lib Dem is even more pointless. And Tusk, the trade union group or party, they're just going to take off votes from Labour. And also interesting in Plymouth this year, there's no UKIP, like a lot of places in the country, because of Brexit. So it's really an interesting dynamic. There's less students here as well, which means less votes for Labour. So it's going to be really interesting what happens in this ward uh, tomorrow or, or, or Thursday the 6th. So if you are in Plymouth and you're watching this, vote independent. There's five or six independents standing. And hopefully next year, the next April or next May, there'll be 19 independents and one in each ward. That's the aim to make sure that we put an independent on the ballot paper for everybody in Plymouth. Because voting independent is true none of the above vote. It's the vote that they can't control. Every, every party they control through the Electoral Reform Act, which is why Tony Blair made it illegal for anybody to have a party claim called none of the above. Because if none of the above was on the ballot paper, it would win hands down every time. So get out and vote independent on May the 6th, wherever you are. And your name and ward? My name is Danny Van Pitt and I'm in the ward of St. Peter on the water club in Plymouth. And Darren... Uh, Denslow, he's standing in Peveril, and Sonia Hoskins, she's standing in Southway, and Diana is standing in Earl. So, interesting, and I think the dynamics are going to be different uh, on Monday morning. Well, that sounded like the dulcet tones of Patrick in the background. Uh, there. Indeed, that was uh, very own Patrick Henningsen there uh, getting that uh, little clip with Danny. Danny having the courage to stand up. Uh, he mentioned this. Oh, beg your pardon, this uh, gentleman here, Darren Denslow. Um, so well done, Darren. There are other people. We can't mention them all. But what we are delighted to see is people standing up to be counted because at a local level, you can make a difference. And Darren, otherwise known as Darren of Plymouth on Twitter and quite well known on Twitter as well, quite a following. So good luck to him. Go and have a look at him. Uh, the other team that's very active across the country is the Freedom Alliance, principally people coming together under one header, but they are independent in their views. Uh, we can't vouch for each and every one of these people. We can say great credit to them for standing up. We encourage our audience to go and look at the individual candidates, decide whether that's the right person for you. But well done to all of these people for getting out there and saying they're going to try and make a difference. Uh, this is part of the Freedom Alliance material. Have you had enough of lockdowns? Do you believe the government has our best interests at heart? Do you believe it's time to stand up for personal liberty and free choice? And then they say what they are standing up for. Um, they are also really coming in on COVID. We've seen the threat of COVID exaggerated and large numbers of deaths caused by the lockdown itself. Old people have been imprisoned in care homes. So I'm going to say credit to these people. They're really coming in on the reality of what's happening around us. And they're standing on the basis that if they're elected, they can try and make a difference from inside the system. And I think they've got a much better chance of doing that at a local level than they might even have if they were elected as an MP. Uh, if you care to pause this screen, you can see some of the local email addresses for this team. Uh, so if you want to get in touch with them, I know time is short, but now you know the vote is going to be there tomorrow. You can at least speak to them. 
And I'm also going to say that the local team uh, took the trouble to come round to the UK column office uh, to tell us what they were up to. And so I'm delighted to put faces on screen for Plymouth and Devon candidates. And here we've got uh, another email from the Freedom Alliance saying we're also active in the Hartlepool by-election. And um, Steve, uh, Steve here is saying, can you give a shout out for us, which we're very happy to do. Now, we've also got other independents coming together across the country. So this is the Independent Alliance, and this has come out of uh, Swindon. Uh, this is the sort of thing that they're talking about. No to vaccine passports. Yes to freedom of choice. Yes to liberty over lockdowns and yes to operating business. So a lot of good work by a lot of good people. Uh, have a look at their websites. Give them support if you are confident they are the people to vote for. Um, very quickly, if you could, Alex, uh, just give us an update on the uh, uh, the fundraiser for the excuse me, for the fundraiser that you were promoting last week? Well, if we go straight to the next slide, that, that first slide was the original blog, which you'll find on UK Column. As of last week, the fundraiser for the mother and her son to get their possessions, especially his toys over, was standing at just under £2,000. But if you hit the slide again, you will see that that has, through great generosity, gone up to 71% the last time I looked. Uh, the mother and son have been overwhelmed by the generosity. So let's see what she wrote to us. These messages are so sweet and moving. That's the support messages down the side of the Just Giving site by people who've donated. She says, I cannot read them without crying. So much love from so many hearts and so many places, even Kenya. We do read the messages together, she says. I don't just cry tears of joy. I also cry tears of sadness, for I realise there are millions whose freedom is in danger. They know it, yet they are happy seeing us fight for ours. And she concludes, I hope that they will give their fight even more passion. Too many others are demonstrating such contempt for freedom. That in a nutshell is why we have still have made no progress, it seems in the last year um, in uh, dealing with this uh, COVID issue. Although I think probably behind the scenes we have. Um, and uh, we've got an email here from Brian Snellgrove. Brian Snellgrove is one of our viewers who has put together an entire site. So viewers might be very interested to look at it. He introduces it as follows. He's got about 5,000 direct links leading to uh, and many more um, re resources on resisting dominant narratives on COVID-19 with facts. There it is. So it's a one-stop shop, covid-unmasked. Dot net. Again, it will be in the show notes under the uploads. And while I'm mentioning uh, resources, another one which I think I can heartily recommend is No Jab for Me. I think the, the main name is dot .info. That will also be in the show notes. Uh, these are two uh, URLs to memorize, to share with others, which provide a great deal of information to further um, uh, links to further information. One book recommendation too, uh, the delectable Dr. Sam Bailey in New Zealand is well known on her Odyssey channel. She can't upload everything to YouTube anymore. People might know that she's one of the co-authors of Virus Mania. People might have ordered it last year and think, why should I bother getting the third edition published April 2021? Well, the answer is that is the uh, version from last year and that is the version which has now come out, third edition, April 2021, with several co-authors, including Sukarit Bakti, Torsten Engelbrecht, serious people. So do read that. Um, okay, thank you very much for that, Alex. Now, of course, uh, those resources being put together on a shoestring, um, uh, contrary to the government, and on Monday's programme, we were talking about uh, uh, the latest contract for media buying services, £320 million, million pounds, 
uh, being spent uh, with uh, an organization uh, that we're going to talk about in a second in a bit more detail, but uh, the client brief, of course, was redacted. Um, so uh, this money coming from the cabinet office, 320 million, uh, except it isn't 320 million because actually, if you count up all the contracts of a similar nature on Contract Finder, it comes in at around 1.6 billion pounds being spent uh, on controlling the COVID narrative. These amounts of money, Mike, from the government, public money being used to capture the whole of the available media capacity in this country. This is propaganda on, on a mind-blowing scale. Absolutely. So it was, it's, it's been given to a, co a company called OMD, but we'll come on to that in a second. It's being managed, or at least part of it's being managed uh, by the Crown Commercial Service. This was the 2018 contract, uh, which expires in 2022. I think this one was somewhere around 400 million or so. Uh, and uh, But this is about buying media channels, for example, advertising space, partnerships, events and sponsorship regionally, nationally, internationally, across off and online channels. Uh, and if you remember on Monday, we showed that the latest uh, contract at OMD Group, uh, the whole raft of different companies ultimately ending up uh, at Omnicom Group Inc., uh, the US company. Uh, but uh, many of these other uh, contracts uh, with this organization, which is part of OMD Group, uh, Manlo Manning Gottlieb OMD. Now, what's interesting about this company is that it was dissolved in 2011, struck off from the company's register. So it's not entirely clear exactly what its legal status is. Uh, they claim that they are a division of OMD Group Limited, um, but they uh, are running uh, this uh, little program here called OmniGov. Uh, we are immensely proud to service the HM government media buying framework and recognize the importance of our role as the single cross Her Majesty's government agency partner uh, and our input in helping deliver HMG uh, ambitions through communications. It's really spectacular stuff. Uh, so Omnicom, as we know, is a global media marketing and corporate communications holding company. It's the second largest advertising agency in the world. It's uh, eclipsed only by WPP. Um, well, I'm glad to say that Ian Davis has stepped up once again and written an absolutely fantastic article on this. It's extremely important that everybody understands the content of this article and the implications of it. The title is, the headline is, Buying a Single Version of the Truth. And let's just take a couple of quotes from it. First of all, uh, as the COVID-19 pandemic unfolded, Omnicom was able to help the UK government to, quote, navigate the road to new normal. Uh, they said they had deepened their, quote, rapid response capabilities, which enabled their client, the UK government, to make more informed decisions while providing a single version of the truth. Uh, and another part of the article, he's saying that OmniGov was behind the snappy slogans used to change our behavior throughout the pandemic, phrases like flatten the curve, stay home, protect the NHS, save lives, and rule of six all rely on psychological mechanism called the rule of three. And it goes on to define what the rule of three is. Uh, and they say that the 119, he says the 119 million Omnicom contract to modify our behavior was in discussion long before the World Health Organization made their pandemic declaration. I really can't say strongly enough that everybody needs to read that article, understand the implications of it, and get that shared as widely as possible. Um, Alex, uh, briefly, have you got any thoughts? 
Well, uh, I read it just before we went on air, and uh, I thought that even, even by Ian's high standards, this is another league of him joining the dots. Uh, he really has uh, laid out that it is a commercial contract to present certain ideas to us, um, and that it's very lucrative, but not for uh, us, but for those who control our minds. And it should be read in concert with Dr. Bruce Scott's latest piece, also at the top of ukcolumn.org, which gives chapter on verse on very many Russian and other communist attempts to control men's mind going back a century. Can I just add a bit to that, Alex? Uh, we know that across our, our viewers and listeners, there are many very clever people in media for producing little video clips or animations uh, or mo moving presentations e even. And if you're able to take the detailed information that's in that article and present a, a part of it in, in a, a way that will uh, attract people's attention and help spread it, then please do it. All, all we just ask is that you obviously provide a link back to the UK column so that people can come back and, and share more information. Mm. Um, Alex, on Monday, uh, David Scott was uh, talking about uh, the Pat Sweeney case in, uh, in Ireland. I think you've got some updates on that. Yes, David Scott is more expert than I am. So go to twitter.com slash Albion underscore Rover. But here the Irish Sentinel, uh, allied with Reality Bites Radio, has an update on the case. Pat Sweeney was the gentleman uh, filming the disrupted church service in the Irish Midlands. Uh, Pat Sweeney had an ongoing dispute with his French ex over their two children. They were removed from his care at 3am as, uh, as David covered on Monday. Um, embedded in this piece in the Irish Sentinel is Irish Students Against Globalism, saying that the actions in Athlone show that the Irish state will misuse legislation to confiscate the children of political dissidents. And in echo of uh, what um, John Waters said a whole decade ago with the children's rights referendum, uh, every fear then about giving children guardians and rights at law separate from those of their parents, similar to the Scottish not named person legislation, has come true here. The ultimate source for this is the indefensible Orla Red, who is a very active Telegram channel and is on various video platforms as well, one of the best Irish free media contributors at the moment. Um, Irish Sentinel continues that the process of getting your children returned is dragged out for years. This is general commentary towards the bottom of the piece. Um, and there was an investigation in 2016 into one, into one child called Grace, was left in a foster home under the uh, Irish Health Services um, uh, Children uh, Protection Squad, Tusla, for 13 years despite social workers being aware that she was being sexually abused there, a seven million euro inquiry on this. If you manage to get a Chartadola, an Irish MP, to raise your case, the Minister of Justice or Children will just sideswipe it. Uh, on Facebook, again, the link will be under the upload soon, is a, is a video uh, by uh, Anna Kavanagh of the Irish Inquiry, talking about the specifics of the misuse of Section 12 of the relevant uh, legislation to uh, get into the man's room, uh, Mr. Sweeney, at 3 a.m. And as you heard, if you watched on Monday, the Gardaí started, or their opening gambit was, you've been a troublemaker since you got your mobile phone back, haven't you? So it was entirely mental health regulator, or, or through that, that prism, until they were at the Garda station and transferred to Tusla's care. And then suddenly it wasn't a mental health issue anymore. And we were told that the old Bien Ponson knew that this was a long running family dispute and nothing to do with his dissidents or filming uh, the breakup of a mass. So the journal in Ireland, 
uh, reports in a fairly vanilla way uh, that the, uh, the father in question, Mr Sweeney, has lost that appeal, his challenge to allow his sons in Ireland. We learned from this that he was concerned that if his ex took them back to France, they would be made to mask and that this would be a health danger. The write-up here, and note that this is the original verdict, which has now been upheld at appeal, uh, the original verdict was by, by a single judge that um, Mr. Uh, 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 is it Sweeney um, had no um, real medical understanding, and in fact, she's suggesting down the bottom there, Justice Geerty, that he had no common sense either, because even to think that masking children is endangerment or deception indicates that you have no common sense and shouldn't be taken seriously. Now, earlier today, uh, you suggested that people should support independence quite correctly because if they vote for a political party, they are uh, stepping into a trap of accepting a whole pre-written manifesto. So always vote independent. But likewise, in the realm of law, don't accept any arguments against juries or that family courts are necessary for specialist knowledge or to protect privacy in families. And uh, because the family courts, of course, have no juries. I wish I could give a long lecture on this, but I can't now. But at least read this very basic guide, American written, but relevant to all uh, common law jurisdictions, including the English speaking world. The people versus the state using jury nullification to defeat unjust laws. A very brief guide to what would go on and what used to go on in courts before we had this trick of single court, single judge family courts. The judgment in question, uh, the Word document uh, will also be linked to the show notes in due course, uh, shows that at the Court of Appeal, three judges uh, upheld the original uh, justice's findings, that it was no problem for these children to be returned to France, and says in section 103, which I won't read in full, uh, that it's quite all right. The French require masks in schools more uh, rigorously than the Irish do, uh, but that's quite all right. It's not a lesser legal standard of protection off, off the children go. Now, David Scott has had a whale of a time uh, pointing out to the uh, the great and the good, or at least the, the virtue signalers in Ireland on Twitter, uh, what mistakes are in their thinking. So when he tweeted out the Irish Sentinel piece, Edemara Sullivan said everything in that article is incorrect. Jeremy Ingerso with an flag in his profile says that the Sentinel is a right-wing hate site whose only purpose is to spread lies and crackpot conspiracy theories to which David replied thanks for your recommendation I'll now subscribe to the Sentinel which I think is the right way to deal with this kind of stuff on Twitter Kevin Burke, immensely proud if you look at his pro profile of his uh, professional journalistic qualifications uh, asks whether the Sentinel normally comments on family court matters so uh, just like the bbc in the response a moment ago can't spell um, predominantly so kevin the professional journalist who's so proud of his ethics that we don't comment on family courts uh, can't spell sentinel and he's suggesting that uh, uh, this is wrong the sentinel write sentinel write-up because the children were not with their their tusla they were with their mother this deliberately omits what happened in the middle of the night right and that below him is another so-called skeptic who says oh no we've got the right narrative since then mr mr scott's wrong and the sentinel's wrong so david scott uh, goes on to point out to another person that it's quite wrong to say Gardi were obliged to steal these children in the middle of the night because of the concerns. He says you're misstating the law and he goes into detail on that if you tap the uh, uh, slide again. He says that section 12, which was used to remove the children in the middle of the night, urges or requires the Garda Shihona to have an immediate and serious risk in mind for the health or welfare of a child and it would not be sufficient to await the making of an application even for an emergency care order. So it's the batter down the door uh, clause that was used basically to get these children. As soon as they went to the Garda station, uh, things changed. So he's asking other people, there must be more to this uh, than uh, meets the eye because it was a 3am raid under mental health legislation. And how do the great and the good of Ireland reply to that? Well, Ada Meyer again says, there's no more to it. 
and David again turns back people's, uh, uh, the, shall we say, the, the, the social justice warriors language against them and says, citation required. So uh, a lot of questions to be asked. Uh, this has already been welcomed by some people. I posted it under a YouTube upload by the National Party politician who's championed this case on behalf of the father and the children. Um, and I've said that it's time for the Irish and Friends of Ireland to make a big stink about the agency in question, Tusla, at every cultural event abroad where the Irish government is soaking up a bygone era's adulation for Irishry. This has been done in the past with German cases and Swedish cases of child stealing. And I will just read out the email addresses that have been put in the chat box for the ministers dealing with this issue. Uh, unfortunately, they now are uh, back in France, but it's info at justice.ie, heather.humphreys, E-Y-S, at oir.ie and roderick.ogorman, no punctuation, just O-G-O, roderick.ogorman, that's roderick with a C, at irachtas.ie. I won't try to spell irachtas for you, the Irish will know how to spell it. What comes into my mind as you talk through that, Alex, is uh, years ago, two uh, particularly uh, unpleasant cases with children um, in Ireland, one with a gentleman called Kevin who had boys taken away from him. Uh, in the progress of his court case, it was obvious that um, the the children's courts, whether they were in Ireland or or England, were operating on a completely different level to any anybody else. They made the rules up as they went along. They made the law up as they went along. And Kevin certainly watched his two boys bundled into a um, a Gardaí car. Uh, he knows that they were taken to an airport. Uh, he never saw them again. Unfortunately, he died uh, some time later, but uh, that was one particular tragic case. The other one was a French lady called Corinne uh, who had children taken away from her. And we were able to see their collusion between the English and the French family courts, again, making up the law as they went along. So when it comes to children, the taking of children, I'm going to say the trafficking of children, the moving of those children overseas, um, the family courts appear to be able to work to their entire satisfaction, no matter where they're based. Which brings us in nicely to the fact that, of course, both the Catholic Church and the Church of England have been heavily involved um, in the abuse of children. Although, of course, the recent ICSA inquiry attempted to smooth those ruffled waters as far as the Church of England was concerned. So let's bring in um, Justin Welby, uh, because um, thank you very much to a viewer who said, had we seen this article in Christianity, uh, reimagining Britain, God's vision for a post-pandemic world. So the moment I saw this, I saw the reimagining, uh, which of course is using subconscious, subliminal language, um, which is really pretty close to witchcraft. I think this is what David Scott would say. And here we've got uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury speaking out. Well, what did he have to say? I've only just taken a couple of quotes so that you can get a flavour for it. You need to go to the site and have a look at the articles yourself. But uh, he's um, saying this, in exile in a strange, unrecognisable land, the Israelites long to return to the familiar home they knew and loved. They looked forward to the day they could go back to the land God had promised them. But the Israelites also knew that when they returned, things couldn't go back to normal. They wouldn't go on as they had been. The prophets had warned them of the greed, the lack of faithfulness, the sin that had led to their separation from God. Now, as we too look towards returning home, towards a future after COVID-19, 
We need to reimagine that future. We cannot build back relying on the old inequalities and unfair structures. We must build forward together. It's a choice. Choose something new or just let the old reestablish. Not to choose is still a choice. It's almost like the language being given to those school children in your section at the start of the news, Mike. Yeah, you came very close to saying build back better there. Indeed. Well, uh, I think we'll be heading there. So at the end of his article, this is what you were given. Support UNICEF's vaccine aid campaign to help deliver two billion vaccines to vulnerable communities around the world and get the vaccine yourself, not feed these people, mm. not give them the loaves and the fishes and clean water, but get those vaccines into them as fast as possible. I believe that this is a wicked and evil man speaking. Check in on somebody who might need a hand, perhaps an elderly relative or a neighbour. Well, we can't do that because they're all locked up in care homes. Give someone a call today, offer to do their shopping, pray with them. Uh, and he says donate or volunteer at your local food bank. So don't do anything worthwhile, just uh, just do a little bit of local stuff, keep the blue rinse in your hair. Keep following the lockdown rules, which are designed to protect us. I know it's difficult, but it will save lives. Alex, I'm, I'm gonna give you a bit of comment. This man is not a Christian. He is certainly not a Christian. He says, pray, 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 and pray some more. And in the praying section, he lists me, me, Justin Welby, as the first man to pray for. If you don't believe me, read the article. So he says it's a moment of choice. God calls for a holy church and a prophetic voice so that uh, there may the proclamation of the good news of Jesus and the returning of many to his saving love, not to choose renewal, uh, is to choose the old ways. Well, I'm going to encourage people to have a look at what this man's really about, which is working with international bankers to uh, raise trillions, and it was the UK column that exposed this, the Church of England working alongside hedge funds to raise 23.5 trillion, not to feed the hungry, uh, but in order to promote the green agenda. So you can read it in that article. And I was caught by the Financial Times here saying that Justin Welby had been inviting financiers to join, quote, quasi-monastic, uh, a quasi-monastic community. So we're going to label him a hypocrite and a false prophet in the name of the Great Reset. Yes. Yes. Alex. Well, uh, that's one man, the uh, senior Archbishop of the Church of England, the primate of all England. On the other hand, unheard.com, U-N-H-E-R-D.com, has Freddie Sayers interviewing two of 1,200 ecclesiastical signatories of a petition in late April. Uh, against vaccine passports, saying that they are unchristian, showing a fundamentally better biblical knowledge than Welby, who's completely misread the book of Exodus. The Israelites uh, were uh, perfectly content to stay in Egypt and had to be cajoled out. So he's got completely the wrong end of the stick there. So read unheard.com. One of the signatories there is a man who left the established Church of Scotland uh, uh, over this, the, the Tron Church minister, Willie Phillip. And I think they've got a lot more Bible and common sense on their side. Thank you for that, Alex. Well, I think you know where Welby's going, Mike. Uh, well, I mean, of course, this is the COP26 this year. Here's Alok Sharma, uh, the uh, president of the COP26. Uh, he's saying, well, he's talking about uh, a Green New Deal stuff, of course. And, uh, well, uh, he was talking yesterday about the future of road transport, uh, that the future is zero emissions. Uh, he uh, said, uh, 
Six months ago, the UK was planning to phase out new polluting vehicles by 2040. Today, we'll do so by 2030. Uh, well, I just want to remind everybody, of course, that this isn't possible, or at least it is possible, but only under certain circumstances. So let's uh, look again at this, uh, our, this report from the uh, Global Warming Policy Foundation, uh, electrifying the UK and the want of engineering. And the key points out of this uh, were as follows. Equivalent energy stored in a conventional car filled with approximately 10.5 gallons of gasoline. An EV needs a battery the, the weight of at least half a ton. Uh, and the production of those batteries is extremely energy intensive and includes mining and processing huge amounts of copper, aluminium and lithium. And of course, when he says zero emissions for road transport, he either means that he's going to ignore this fact or he means that there'll be no cars on the roads at all. So which is it, I wonder? Well, let's just have a look at the uh, statistics for this. If we were to replace the current car fleet with electric cars, that would require, in the UK, this, this is, that would require 200% the annual global production of cobalt. It would require 75% of the annual global production of lithium carbonate. It would require more than 50% of the annual global production of copper. And it would require about 100% of the annual production of uh, neodymium. Uh, and so <laughs> that makes it pretty unlikely that we're going to replace our current car fleet with electric cars uh, beginning in 2030. Unless there's no people to run those cars, Mike. No cars, no people. That's a good point. So uh, 26, if we look at the EU uh, uh, level, then it would require 26 million uh, electric vehicles to be produced annually. It would require 1700% of annual production of cobalt. That's global production of cobalt. So that's only if you're replacing the EU's fleet and forget about the United States and Asia and Africa. Uh, and 600% uh, of annual production of lithium carbonate, 400% uh, of annual global production of copper, and 800% of annual global production of uh, neodymium. So uh, really, this is not going to fly. Uh, he either means that uh, there'll be nobody and no cars on the roads um, or, well, that's really the only thing it can mean because there is no prospect in such a short period of time of replacing uh, the fossil fuel fleet with, yeah, with electric cars. So a great reset, um, which we can see bringing in immense changes. And uh, Justin will be fully promoting this with his international bank of friends. Yes. So uh, let's uh, have an and finally, uh, Alex Lamond here. Yes, Le Mag, the, uh, the uh, personal interest section of the French newspaper of record, Le Monde, reports that Nicola Sturgeon, and this comes from their special intrepid reporter in Edinburgh, uh, is a woman who's moved from early in militism, militantism or mili uh, yeah, militant behaviour uh, to a dream of independence, Nicola Sturgeon, and they christen her Reine d'Ecosse. I think that your school French will suffice uh, to translate what it is that they are calling her. Uh, King of Scotland. The Queen of Scots. There we are. <laughs> Nicola Sturgeon is Queen of Scots. And uh, if you are a, a Frenchman in the know, you read Le Monde. And so that's what you've been told. Uh, I was just checking there because, of course, she could choose to become either in the present. Uh, uh, no men or women. She, she's free to become king if she wants to. OK. OK. Yeah, better leave it there. We better leave it there before we put up a picture of Nicola Sturgeon. Alex, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you to all our viewers and listeners. Local elections tomorrow. 
I think that's an important occasion. So if you can have a look online, track down local candidates, independent candidates or others that you think are worthy of your vote, it is worth voting. I know we've got people warning that the whole of the voting uh, organization is a scam itself. We wouldn't disagree with that, but if you get a candidate in locally, they can do a huge amount of good. So it's your choice uh, whether you support them or not. Um, we'll be back as quickly as possible on the UK column live stream for uh, some extra. Um, but otherwise, 1 p.m. as usual on Friday, and Patrick would be back with us then. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.